Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Carrie Seaburn, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you, Mark. I am so excited to be here and to dive into the conversation. This will be fun. This is a topic that I am passionate about. This is I built my entire firm on this topic, uh, sort of the living an integrated life and, and how do you do that as a professional? And so that's the topic that we're, we're, we're planning on talking about. We'll see where it goes. That's how it goes around here with podcasts at the Entree Architect Podcast. Um, but let me introduce you. Uh, where art and science merge in the company of practical dreamers, that's where you'll find Carrie Seaburn. She's a structural engineer and founder of Vector Collaborative based in Panora. Is it Panora? Am I saying that right? Panora, yeah. Iowa. Uh, she's a, a relationship curator, a podcaster, a certified yoga instructor. She's fluent in steel and concrete masonry and timber design. And she's passionate about doing life differently. And I wanted her on this show because she's doing life differently. She is a, she's a, a, a licensed civil engineer. She's a structural engineer. Um, and she's got a family and she's an entrepreneur and she's a podcaster. She's doing all these things. Um, and she's living a happy life. And so I wanted, wanted to talk about that because I too am doing similar things. Um, and, uh, and I know there's a lot of people out there who are listening right now who are struggling with that, who are struggling with finding that balance between life and work. Well, there really is no balance. And I'm sure we'll talk about that. 
uh, but the integration of life and work. And so let's talk about that a little bit. But before we do that, I want to know more about you. I want you to go back as far as you want to go back, share your origin story, who, in, who or what inspired you to do what you do today and share that story to where we are now. Okay, well, thanks, Mark. Yeah, thanks for the great introduction, too. You're welcome. <laughs> um, I guess maybe I'll go back to being a kid. So I, it's me and a younger brother, and our parents raised us very equally. So um, we had, I mean, it wasn't boy-girl. It was very, we were just treated very equally. So I think growing up, I was kind of taught um, that I could do whatever I wanted to do. So I've always been pretty... Um, ambitious. I remember being about 10 years old and listening to Michael Jackson on the radio and thinking I was too far behind to be successful. <laughs> I was 10 and he has been at 10. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I has been at 10. Exactly. So I've always kind of had this drive um, to be successful, to dream and to have big dreams. So I was good in math and science when I was in school, but I was also like, for instance, when I was in high school, I, I, sub I subscribed to Road and Track magazine, and I also subscribed to like a fashion magazine. So my interests have always been very diverse, and it was a little bit hard in high school because I was different than my friends. So my interests were so different. I really loved math class, but a lot of my friends hated math. I really liked fashion like a lot of them did, and I also like cars. So it was this weird, I mean, weird is what I call it, I guess, but maybe um, something a little less drastic. It was just this very diverse set of interests that I had. Um, I need, I knew I needed to do something to support myself and to support my family. So engineer, engineering felt like the right choice or a great choice. I didn't really know what I was getting into when I went into college. I had an uncle that's a civil engineer. Um, and I shadowed with him and that felt a little bit boring because I was just watching him do his job. I wasn't actually doing it. So if you watch anyone do something for a couple hours and you don't actually get into it, um, I feel like that's going to be boring. So I didn't know for sure. I would say it took until about second year of college that I was like, we took statics, which really uh, for your listeners that are architects, statics is, um, I guess you guys probably get into statics a little bit as well, but it, it's a different language. Um, so it's the way that we get loads from the top of the building down into the ground. So it was a completely different language that I had never used. It's the language of math. Um, and I loved it. I loved vectors, hence the name of our company. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I just loved that. I loved the process of getting the right answer at the end and taking these complex concepts from the top of the building all the way down into the foundation. So I got super lucky because I found out that I loved it. Um, and then I moved out to Denver, Colorado, started working. My dream was to design high rise buildings and do complex, um, you know, amazing, beautiful, tall buildings. Um, and I got to do that a little bit. But in the process, um, I kind of started shutting off my heart and my emotions and kind of started going down the achievement side and realized that I could be really productive and really efficient if I shut off my feelings and just powered through. Um, and that led me to a place that was not healthy and was unbalanced and I was just overworked, stressed out just everything was just one step away from just collapsing, it felt like, except for my work. Like I was getting promotion after promotion and that felt really great, but everything else was suffering. 
So I moved to Iowa in 2010 and started my own business at that time and decided I was going to do it differently. So at that time, I had a four-year-old and a two-month-old, and I just decided I'm not going to work more than 40 hours a week. I'm going to give it my all for those 40 hours. And if I have employees, if and when I have employees, I'm going to do the same. So that's something now that, you know, 10, 11 years in, that we hold, like we hold that very sacred, that we have our downtime where we get to spend it with our families and with our hobbies. And when we have our Monday morning calls, the very first thing we talk about is our weekend for a half hour. And that's super intentional because we all work remotely. So we don't have the co-working you know, being around people and just the, just kind of the casual conversations that come up, we don't really have that. So it's super important for me to get to know my people and the people that I'm working with. And that goes for employees and coworkers. And it also goes for our clients. So, I mean, we'll talk small talk with clients too, because I think it's so important to get to know people and that's been super helpful. And then reintroducing hobbies so that there is that good balance. So I guess that kind of leads me to where I'm at today, um, you know, with the business side of it and then also with the hobbies, but we are firm believers in 40 hours a week. You give it your all for those 40 hours and you're in a good, strong mental state for those 40 hours so that you can be efficient and then you have downtime. So it's taken a long time to get here, but <laughs> it feels really good to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so are, is your, how, how large is the firm? It's just two of us right now. Okay. So um, I'm in the process of trying to hire, but. And yeah. are you fully remote? Yep. We so, have been since 20, I have been since 2010. Okay. So you launched it that way. So that was yeah. part of the strategy is to launch it remote. Um, yeah. 2010, very early for a remote company. Yes. So one of the things, like I love being a mom and I love um, dropping my kids off at school and picking them up from school. So that was something um, I didn't want to give up. So you mentioned earlier, Mark, like, so I live in Panora, which is a small town that's about an hour outside of Des Moines. So for structural engineering, Des Moines is kind of our main service market. Uh, and I didn't want to have to commute an hour each way and miss those times with my kids. So I figured if I could kind of combine that and work from home, I can take a break from 8 to 8.15, you know, take my kids to school, come back and work, and then take another break from 3.15 to 3.30 to spend that 15 minutes with my kids. So even like this morning, um, my kids were here for 40 minutes before school, and I sat down and had a cup of coffee with them, you know, for 20 minutes and just talked about things. And I just, I feel like those moments when we're fresh, um, are so valuable and so great for just forming those relationships with our friends and with our family. So I just, I didn't want to give that up by going someplace physically and being there for nine hours a day. You mentioned about earlier in your career, you, you shut off your feelings in order to move forward and achieve and just stay focused. How did you get past that? almost coming to a low where you where you recognize all the other things are out of balance. So one thing that happened to me, um, like I was, I don't know, I was probably in my mid 20s. I was a young mom. Um, and it was just I had a toddler at home. It was super overwhelming. Work was super stressful. And I remember being in my car on my lunch break, 
for like 10 minutes. Cause usually I wouldn't even leave the building. Like I just be there for 10 hours or 11 hours a day and like calling the 800 number on my health insurance. Cause I was overwhelmed and I didn't know what to do. Like, I was like, I think I might be having a panic attack right now yeah. and I don't know what to do. And the best resource I had at that time was the 800 number on my health insurance card. So, I mean, that was probably a low point for sure. And then I actually got laid off with the recession in 2008. Um, and I was seven and a half months pregnant at the time. So really my whole identity um, was thrown up in the air at that moment in time. So I ended up staying home then with my kids for a little bit. And I think that time gave me a lot of soul searching of, okay, when I start doing this again, like it always felt like it was a reloading period, but it was like, when I start doing this again, what am I going to do differently so that I don't get into that low unbalanced state again? Was there anything specific you did when you decided, okay, I need to shift the way I'm doing things. I need to, I, I, you said you made a decision. And so that was the first step is I'm going to do this differently. Was there, was there a plan? Did you write a plan? Was there some sort of, um, process that you went through in order to make sure that you didn't fall back into that old habit? I think the process of getting to a healthy space was <laughs> luck and God, honestly, because it's like my business grew at the same time that my kids were. So we're growing. So I was full time business wise as soon as my kids were in school. But I think where the action comes in for me is being an advocate for for maintaining that that schedule and that balance. So just protecting that time and that space so that I don't get unhealthy. So the growth to working full time like that, that just kind of happened. And I wasn't really intentional as far as like a roadmap of what it's going to look like that all just organically happened. But I've always since that point been a fierce protector of okay, this is, I, I can't work more than this amount of time and I need to have some other outlet as far as hobbies and spending time with friends and stuff. Let's take a break to thank our sponsors for their support of this episode. BIM can be important for your next project, but it's not the only thing you need for your next project. That's why it's important that 95% of manufacturers who offer free BIM files on RCAT also offer another type of data or information that your project may need. That means 95% of the products with BIM also have CAD files, are in a specification, in a patented spec wizard, or may have product information to help you make the right selection. So stop going to a site with just BIM and go to RCAT.com to get everything you need for your next project for free and without registering. No cost, no credit card, no email, it's free. That's rcat.com, A-R-C-A-T.com. When building a business you're passionate about, it's easy to feel like there aren't enough hours in the day. And if you're doing all the invoicing and accounting on your own, you're probably spending time on work you don't love. FreshBooks is built for business owners like us. It's the all-in-one accounting software that saves entrepreneurs and freelancers up to 11 hours a week. That's 11 hours that you could spend nailing a client pitch, designing your next project, or building your business as an architect. From preparing, sending, and following up on invoices, to tracking and managing expenses, to processing online payments, FreshBooks automates 
and simplifies all the tough and annoying parts of running your own business. So try FreshBooks for free for 30 days. No credit card required. Go to entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks and enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section and get more time back to build the business you love. That's entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. So you said that you're you're in the process of growing. You're looking to hire. You have two people now. You want to, to get bigger. You want to grow the firm. Are there things that you're putting in place for that culture to be established in the firm? Because that's a, that's a, that is a deliberate, specific culture that you want to build in the growing firm. Are there things that you're putting in place to make sure that your staff also lives that healthy life? Yeah, no, I'm so glad that you asked that because we have a thing. Um, so my employee, um, she's also super into yoga. So we pay for yoga memberships um, for both of us. And that's what we'll do moving forward. So it's almost like a mental health benefit. So if someone likes you know, going to the gym or maybe they like rowing classes or maybe they're into karate, whatever that is, we have an amount allotted. And that's every month we contribute to that because that's so important to have those hobbies. And I think Sometimes, especially when you have younger kids, it's really easy to give up those hobbies and to kind of forego the things that make you, the things that you're passionate about outside of work and your kids. So that's one way, if someone's paying for that membership, it's one way to make sure that that is in place and staying there. How do you, how do you um, enforce your 40 hour rule? Do you actually, do you do that just because that's what you want and you have a set start and end time um, and your employee, do you, do you enforce that with your employee? Do you plan on enforcing that with the future staff? Um, so no, I like really, we don't, I don't do much for micromanagement or like time management. Um, I think it's super important for people to have autonomy and what feels right to them. The thing that I strongly encourage is not so much like the time schedule of it, but the internal checking in, like, am I feeling stressed right now? Am I feeling overwhelmed? Well, maybe I need to take an afternoon off and do something different then. So that's more how I monitor it is, is doing that internal check. So having that conversation with employees, hey, how, you know, how are you feeling right now? Are you feeling overwhelmed with the job requirements that you have to do right now with your deadlines or, you know, like, check in and see how you're actually feeling. So that's how we do it. Um, I do try to set, you know, all of us working from home, it's it's kind of difficult because your office is just another room. Um, and it's pretty easy after dinner to just pop in for a few emails that turns into three hours. Uh, so doing it for 11 years this way, I feel like it's been, it's, it's kind of second nature now that it, I'm done. Like I'll start at five or six in the morning, but by four or five in the afternoon, I'm shutting the lights off. I'm shutting the door and I'm not thinking about that and trying not to check my emails or do any of that. So I can be in a different mind space for the rest of the evening and then on the weekends too. I mean, sometimes things come up, right? Like there's there's tight deadlines and you have really great clients that you want to make sure that you're pleasing. But for the most part, a lot of things don't need to be as intense as we make them. So 
with with working from home, are there specific? Well, you you had mentioned, and you didn't use this word, but essentially you set boundaries that you start at a certain time and you end at a certain time, and when when the day is over, you shut off the lights, you close the door, and your day is over. Much like when you work in an office, you know it's time to go home. You turn off the computer, you you lock up the door, and you leave the office. I have found myself working remotely since 2011. Same thing, that that I established a, a time where I start and it's time when I end. Um, and as my kids have grown, they have known that too, that they have known that dad's working from this time and this time. And when he's in that room, that's business. And so if you need to talk to dad, you need to wait until another time when dad's free. Um, and so there's, there's boundaries uh, for me and my family. Uh, so... Have you done that as well? Is there, are there specific ways that you manage your, your life as a family and your life as a business when it's all in the same space uh, in order to, for that to work at both ends? Yeah, so my kids are a little older now. They're, they're 12 and 16. So they know for the most part, if the door shut, yeah. um, don't bother. <laughs> if it's open, and I try to keep it open sometimes, and if it's open and if they come home, they know they can come in and talk to me or you know do whatever. And I love that flexibility, but I think for me, it's having the power knowing that I can shut that door and then I do have uninterrupted time. Um, I also have, I feel like after 11 years, I have this kind of and, and also checking in with my feelings a little bit more these days. I just have this feeling like if I'm working at night, it feels soul sucking. Yeah. So Monday morning, I'm super excited to get into my office and go through everything. Like it just feels really good to be productive and to work through it. And that feels really good. Um, if it's Wednesday night at nine o'clock and if I'm in my office, it feels soul sucking and it feels bad. So it's trying to avoid that feeling almost. Yeah, I I found the same thing with with those boundaries. It makes everything better. It actually Mondays are great, <laughs> right? Because mm -hmm. you're starting work again, and it's and it's a whole new day. And and some other tips that I've had, and you may have similar things, is that I don't meet with clients on 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 Monday. Monday is my transition from the weekend into the rest of my day, into the rest of my week. So I use Monday to plan out the rest of my week, and it gives me a, a mental transition from family back into work. Do you have similar similar tips like that? Yep, exactly like what you're saying, Mark. Uh, my employee and I, we have a Monday morning meeting and one, it's catching up, talking about the weekend like we were talking about earlier, and then it's planning out the week. So if we have that roadmap for the week, it keeps us accountable to each other. And it also helps us pick up all of those floating things that maybe one or two of, or you know, one or both of us have forgotten about or put on the back burner, it, it brings that to the forefront again so that we can follow up on it. So that's what I, I typically don't take Monday meetings either because Mondays are typically busy and, you know, planning, but then also just busy getting everything in place for the rest of the week. And I, if I'm having a client meeting, I want to be fully present for the client meeting and not be thinking about how everything should be getting organized for the week. Yeah. It, it actually makes Mondays fun. So you look, you look forward to those Mondays because you have that opportunity to, to catch up and talk about your weekend and, you know, do all those things where you sort of used to feel guilty about that when you were in, a, in work and you went to, to work and you were working on Monday and everybody sort of spends half the day talking about what happened during the weekend, but you're sort of doing it, you know, breaking the rules by doing that. You're not working. You're supposed to be working. Right. Um, 
but but when you establish that that's what happens on Monday, right? That's part of the culture is that that's what you're supposed to be doing. Um, it's better. It's it's you know it's mentally better. Um, what about with clients? Do you have any um, ways of sort of setting those boundaries with your clients? Do you set expectations very early on that you know after five o'clock or whenever you end your day? that you're not available until the next morning or during the weekends, that weekends I don't meet weekends and I, you know, you can't get me weekends. Do you have any sort of those boundaries with clients? Yeah, I would say, so we don't meet on weekends. Um, you know, I do have my phone. So if, if it's a client that we, that is a really great client, um, you know, maybe we are responding evenings to text or something like that, but for the most part, we we work as far as deadlines. So we'll set a deadline expectation with the client or the client will set it on us. And then the infill of making it to that deadline is on us. So that's how we have clear expectations to our clients that really doesn't affect when we're working so much because we like to have that autonomy. Um, but we'll set, okay, in two weeks, we'll have construction documents for this job to you and then as far as coordination in between I don't I don't think it's always especially in the design phase it's not always imperative that you're responding you know in 15 minutes to an email so if we're getting an email at six or seven o'clock at night that's design related it'll probably wait until the next morning um, construction is kind of a different animal right and we we know that and we keep that in mind. Sometimes the people out in the field need answers immediately because there's 20 people waiting on one decision. So that gets treated a little differently. But in design and coordination, sometimes you know you don't have to return a call in 20 minutes. Sometimes it can wait a little bit longer and it's okay to have those boundaries and to communicate those boundaries too. Yeah, I think setting those expectations at the very beginning of the relationship, the business relationship, uh, so they know what what is allowed and what's not allowed. And you need to be, as a business person, also um, consistent with that, right? You can't respond to an email really quickly one day and the next day like, well, it's the weekend, I'm not responding during the weekend because you've established that as that's how you do business. And so uh, setting up and being consistent with what you've set up is really important. Um, if you, there are lots of architects right now and other design professionals who are in the process of setting up their new firm. Um, and many of them are going to build remote businesses. And that's just the way, that's the structure they're going to use. And they're going to build what you built 10 years ago. You have lots of experience running a remote firm. Is there one specific um, piece of advice that you could give a new startup architect or a new startup engineer who's going to build a remote studio uh, that they absolutely need to make sure they get this right? Uh, what would you suggest to them? Well, I think for it's hiring good workers, right? Like good employees, good architects, good engineers, and establishing that trust up front so that you don't have to micromanage because autonomy is an amazing gift especially for an employee, like I've been in, in, in the employee's shoes of someone that, that was a micromanager and someone that gave me a lot of autonomy. And if you trust your employees, you should be able to give them that autonomy and trust that they're doing 
what they're doing. The other thing that I always um, encourage is you have you have a direct like their output. So the output that they're giving, their work, their deliverable. If that's good and if that's being achieved on time, then then you're good, right? If that's good quality and if you're meeting deadlines, then you're good. How that employee gets to that point and if they're working at 10 o'clock at night or if they're working at six o'clock in the morning, that really shouldn't matter to you as a boss. It's really just whatever works best for them, right? Like I think we all want to create atmospheres for our employees that help them to perform their best. And it doesn't have to look the same as what yours does. It could look different. I think the big thing is trust. And at the very beginning, just really checking into those deliverables and making sure that they're good quality, technically sound and meeting those deadlines. And once you do that a few times, then you have that trust set up and that's your employees are going to, going to appreciate that so much and probably stay along around longer because they have that autonomy. Yeah, I, I, I think that is one of the greatest benefits of having a remote studio is that flexibility. And if you try to establish a firm that doesn't have that flexibility, but still a remote firm, it will fail. It will absolutely fail. You have to give them that because you'll go crazy trying to micro, micromanage them from a remote you know, remote area, it's not going to work. And so giving them that autonomy to do the work when they want to do the work uh, is important. But what's important, most important is that they do execute on, you know, hit the, the deadlines, do the things that they said they were going to do. Do you have specific systems in place to be able to communicate what needs to be done and when that work needs to be delivered? Yeah, so we we um, set our deadlines and then work back from there and infill accordingly. So there's an app, I think it's the Harvest Forecast app where you can do um, kind of pipeline scheduling. So just fitting it in there. And as long as we're meeting our deadlines and as long as things are progressing, then we know from a profitability standpoint and from an income standpoint that we're billing at the right rate because we're meeting that deadline. We know what the fee is for that job. So I don't track hours that much as far as, which is a little <laughs> contentious sometimes, I guess, but we really just base it on, you know, here's our proposal, here's the deadline. So this is gonna take about this many hours. So here's how much time you have to do that. And if you meet that benchmark, then we know that we're getting the profit that we need for that job. So really that's, that's the main thing is setting those deadlines and making sure that that fits with the, the hourly schedule that we need to maintain. As we wrap up here, one final question. What's one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Connections. So it's all about establishing those connections. And just like we were talking about employees and getting to know your employees, getting to know your clients on a personal basis. People are so much more interesting than the jobs that they do during the day, right? They have so many other passions and interests. And if you can connect on those levels, you're gonna go further. Everyone expects technical competency. Like our clients expect us to be technically competent. That's just our benchmark. And beyond that, just really getting to know your clients and what they're passionate about is going to take you to the next level because they're going to actually enjoy working with you. So that would be my one piece of advice is establishing those connections and getting to know your clients on a personal level. 
Carrie Seaburn is her name. The website, if you want to check out her website for the uh, engineering firm, vector-colab.com. We will have links to that in the show notes. Also, she's a podcaster. Go check out Unbo- the, Un- the Unboxing Project. We'll have a link to that also in the show notes, The Unboxing Project. What do you talk about on the podcast? So it's all about diversity in STEM, so science, technology, engineering, and math. Um, and just interviewing different people. It's also an opportunity for kids to go to one place and see people that maybe they can resonate with uh, to you know, dream about their own career someday. Love it. The Unboxing Project, go check that out. How about social media? Anywhere that you focus your time on social media? We are all over LinkedIn and we are also on Instagram and Facebook. So what should they look for? Vector Colab or The Unboxing Project or Carrie Seaburn? Uh, Vector Club and the Unboxing Project are both on all of those. Carrie Seaburn is a little bit, uh, maybe doesn't post as much. All right. That's, that's a tip right there. <laughs> all right, Carrie, thank you. This has been a fantastic conversation. Um, I, I think this is one that many, many people are struggling with right now, uh, trying to find that integration of work and life. Um, it's, it's an ongoing struggle for professionals to find this, uh, this integration. And I think now more than ever, it's, it's, it's essential because uh, remote studios are the way firms will work. Um, and whether they are integrated in a hybrid with a physical location somewhere or whether they are purely remote, remote is here to stay and it is a way that we are going to work from this point forward. And so the lessons that you've been able to share here and and the advice that you've given is invaluable. So thank you for coming on today and sharing your knowledge at Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you so much, Mark, for having me. It's been a blast. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, and share a link to this episode with a friend. That's how you can help grow Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you to our sponsors, RCAT and FreshBooks for their support of this episode. Links to all our sponsors and all our resources that we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. That's you. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-Media.com. Go there now. And check out Entree Architect Academy membership. Ready to edit business resources for architects, live monthly business training for architects, a supportive architect community, and simple systems. Our new business system program developed for you, the small firm entrepreneur architect. It's all waiting for you right now at Entree Architect Academy membership, including AIA continuing education learning units. Yep. They are there, there too. Entree Architect is there for you. Come join me and hundreds of your entrepreneur architect friends. Visit entrearchitect.com slash join to enroll today. Thanks for listening today. Love, learn, and share what you know.
I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.